Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Yeah, welcome back to Conspiranormal. Uh, we hope you guys enjoyed the Paranoid Styles episode that we did. And we are here with uh, three of our favorite people that we recently got to hang out with in Somerset, fucking Kentucky. Give us some great hospitality. Yeah, yeah. It was really it was really fun. We've got the, uh, the Penny Royal crew right here. We, of course, got Nathan Isaac. Hey, guys. And Darian. It's Darian West, right? Darian West, that's Darian it. West, and uh, Kyle Cadell. That's me. Graciously showed us around the, his paranormal museum. I was wearing your shirt yesterday. I don't have it on right now, but it's awesome. I hope you guys enjoyed it, man. Absolutely, I'd encourage anyone to go out there and check that museum out. It's really cool. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's it's a great it's a great place, and uh, we really enjoyed our time there. We got to go to the museum, and then we. Uh, Spent uh, the rest of the night over at Jarfly uh, for you guys' uh, release party for the second season. And uh, we won the trivia game. You did. <laughs> I feel bad. I felt bad. Those guys next to us who, like, I looked at them and I was like, oh, man, we're sorry. They're like, we know we didn't have a chance against you. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> Those people I met at uh, CryptidCon, the people you're talking about, and like I was blown away that they even came, and they did really good. Still, like that blew me away, you know. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was an interesting eclectic mix that you guys had in there that night, and we got the we got like the whole tour of like the whole like that whole furniture building and what you guys are doing in there, and uh, we got to talk to Dan Dutton. And the next day, uh, we before we headed back to Nashville, we got to spend some time with Dan over at Dandyland. And that was a, that was a real treat. Um, so thank you guys for, you know, kind of making that introduction as well. Uh, he's an interesting, interesting person. And we will definitely have him on the show at some point. Um, he showed us some of his artwork. He actually gave me a book about the, uh, the murder ballads, um, that some of his artwork that, uh, um, I was real interested in and, saw some other interesting things got to hang out with the goats so that was really cool so he uh um 
you know, did he talk about the child ballads at all with you guys? That you know, he he's like one of the last people that I mean, he knows like a hundred and twenty or however many it is, like over a hundred of the child ballads. He has it memorized. So a lot of those giant paintings. Did he take mm-hmm. you down to the to the painting studio? Like there's the sculpture mm-hmm. studio, and then there's the Japanese style painting studio. Yeah. And yeah. All right, all right. So that building, he probably had told you this, and I'm boring. I'll bore you with it again. But <laughs> that that building was built from the wood of yeah. the first mm-hmm. funeral home in Somerset when they when they tore it down. But there's also which we, Darian, we found this weird connection out that uh, some of the stuff I, I'm always afraid to talk about. Yeah, Just I was going to say probably should talk about that. So, so anyway, there are some strange murders and uh, federal controversy tied to that building. Some things happened inside that funeral home uh, that reached federal criminal levels, uh, I think. And uh, anyway, it's weird because Dan ended up with the wood and the table, the embalming table. Yep. Yeah, he showed us the embalming table. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's just, a, it's another one of those strange things where we were researching some of the stories here in town and it led to that place. And then while I'm talking to Dan about it, he's like, oh, that's my, that's my studio. That's where that wood comes from, you know? And it's like the, the weird narrative connections between all of this stuff is, is super, super strange. You know, he showed you the, um, I'm sure the Aunt Lou uh, stuff, you know, the witch. He did a whole series on this witch, and um, and she was a relative of his uh, family and of him, mm-hmm. but but uh, she was a Tartar. The Duttons and the Tartars and two other families came from Virginia, um, and they were uh, Pennsylvania Dutch, and some of them performed. You know, hex and you know, kind of uh, powwow. Yeah. Powwow. Yeah, yeah. We, t- we talked a lot about powwow. Yeah, telling him about Jack Montgomery's work too. Oh, I don't, I'm That's not familiar. Oh uh, well, Jack Montgomery, someone has been on the show. He was part of the tw- uh, the 2020 conference, and he uh, wrote a book called American Shamans. Uh, he lives actually in Bowling Green, or I think. Well, he might have moved back to South Carolina, but he was in Bowling Green at the University of Western Kentucky, and uh, he's actually a powwow practitioner as well oh shit that's so. that's fascinating oh well so, so the this witch though she she's a tartar and he was over here for breakfast this past weekend and was telling me this crazy story about aunt lou and this relative of hers this uh judge tartar and then and then i was like the house that we just bought that i'm in right now was built by judge tartar you know oh, and really? yeah it was just one of those weird things where I had Dan gasp because <laughs> you know, it was this weird, weird connection to all of this stuff. You know, just the way that, that things loop back, they loop back on themselves, it seems. Yeah, well, it, it seems like Somerset is an interesting small town. I mean, it's very, when we drove, we actually went up I-65 and then we cut across the Cumberland Parkway, which we'll talk a little bit about the I-66 thing here in a little bit. But, you know, um, it seems like, it's kind of like it's its own little place. It's it's very it's kind of isolated in in, in many ways. I you know I like to think of it think of it kind of like a, um, the film Dirty Dancing, right? That 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 resort town that they're in. Uh-huh, uh huh. Right, right. That's that's really what Somerset sort of became in the nineteen seventies. 
It was this idyllic resort town for these rich people from Cincinnati to come down to. And so there are all kinds of those little like uh, dirty dancing style resorts all around the lake um, and lots of really weird dastardly things happen there. So, <laughs> you know. And literal dance halls on the lake. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. People. <laughs> yeah. When we were, uh, we, 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 you took us around on a little tour and we got to see the little like town springs, weird monument pyramid thing, and that was interesting. Which is, I guess, going to be just demolished at some point. But then Nathan, as we're walking, he's like, the first thing he says on the tour is like, "That's where the dead bodies were sent, were found in the dumpster." And I'm just like, "Wow, okay." <laughs> Right, you know, I mean, it's like right there's the sheriff's department. That dumpster, there was a body there for two weeks before someone found it. You know, and it's like, oh, it is weird. Like when you're standing there on the street, what you know, we're like body in the dumpster. They assassinated an attorney over here. You know, these two kids. You know, it was just like all around. You can just look in a 360, you know, uh, view, and there's murders all around you. <laughs> And I saw the the map in the paranormal museum that looks like you like plotted out a lot of these different things from the stuff the events that you've been studying and it looks like you're maybe there's some ley lines going on or some some weird mystical toponymy. I, yeah, that I, map. Uh, one of the pieces from like upstairs in the second floor of Jarfly, we had the entire county and plus some. Um, mapped out with those like geographic maps from i think it was like 75 77 it was literally in the time period where we're looking at this weird stuff and like it's a geological survey and they have map coordinates of like not only Pulaski county but like this entire southeastern quadrant and so we've actually had we had all the maps up during the investigation and like trying to plot things. And so I took that main one uh, as a display piece to the museum that has like downtown Somerset on it. I didn't take the one that has the Mount Victory mines on it. It's still up in the uh, Jarfly studio. Cool. You know, when I was talking to Walter Bosley about this stuff too, it was one of those things where it's like, we start putting these murders, you know, and, uh, uh, Adam, you've been out there, right. To, to, uh, San Bernardino, yeah. San Bernardino, you know, and it's like, there definitely is, uh, a weirdness to, I, I think we were even talking about it at the, uh, you know, at the, the party that, that there is this, you know, it, it, these things don't even have to occur, you know, they don't have to be orchestrated by an actual group trying to kill people over a 40 year or 60 year period. Right. That that these things are sort of happening inside of a natural ritual space, which is, you know, the Penny Royal, which is Pulaski County. And so, um, you know, there are these strange murders. You know, what, what year is it, Darian, the one where the woman's found lying in the middle of the road dead um, and they put her clothing or she put her clothing off to the side of the road. Like, oh really. yeah. Oh, I found that again. It's like in the and, early 1900s. Yeah. Uh, early, early 1900s. Right. And she, she's like laying in the middle of the road and they folded all of her pieces of clothing very neatly on the side of the road. 
and she's in the center of the road, dead, right? And there's no no cause of death. They, no one knows. You know, they just found this this. You know, uh, it, uh, it was almost at the same time there was a story of a guy who had, I think he had like clocked out of his shift in Chicago. And then, and then the next day he was found hanging from like barbed wire from a tree. It was like also in the early. In Pulaski. Yeah. In Pulaski. Yeah, in yeah. Somerset. You know, like yeah. it was, it's like, why, how yeah. did that happen? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but, but when you look at these murders across the, the decades, um, there does seem to be a weird recurrence to, to them in terms of where they're located and, the connections between the people and the place. It, it's just, it's super strange. You know mm-hmm. I mean? I, I don't know. I mean, I've always wondered if, if you picked a place and started digging, would you find this many murders and all of this strangeness? But, you know, I talked to Tim Renner about this and, you know, when I, when, uh, and he and I discussed some of this and, and he said that he thought the same thing, but when he did choose a random place, he did not find that to be the case. Yeah. Yeah, heard him say that before. Yeah, because yeah. you think, well, anywhere you're going to find murders, but it's like, no, no, actually not. There's not definite like hot spots, yeah. And and like you're saying, a lot of these have strange circumstances around them, and they, some of them, you know, you can go out on, on a limb and and think that they do resemble what are called occult murders. Uh, you know, I think some of them definitely are occult murders. You know, I mean, not all of them have to be to be connected to some type of working, you know, and obviously that's what, yeah, they don't all have to be connected to each other necessarily too, but mm-hmm. yeah. And, and then, you know, I think that's part of Downard's whole mystical toponymy, you know, and if you want to carry that forward to Lauren Coleman, you know, uh, and, and some of his stuff too, that, cause he has sub- subsequent um, commentary on all of the Fayette factor stuff. Um, you know, about uh, that Grim Grimstead. I think he, he wrote this as Jim Brandon, right? The Fayette Factor. Didn't he use Jim Brandon? Uh, no, actually, it, it is under Grimstead's name. Mm-hmm. Is it under Grimstead? So, but that, that Fayette Factor, you know, he was living in, uh, you know, we talked about this in the show. Um, he was living in Louisville and was traveling through Kentucky, was driving from uh, Lexington up to Cincinnati. Um, in uh, Weird America, there are a lot of sections of the chapters where he's talking about being on I-75 uh, between Lexington and Cincinnati. And then obviously that's where the whole Fayette factor thing comes from because he was, you know, Lexington, where he was at doing a lot of reporting is Fayette County. And everything in Fayette County is named after General Lafayette. So when you read that essay, knowing that he's in Kentucky, that he's in Lexington, in Fayette County, and then that that sort of is built around that. Um, and then Lauren Coleman later, t- you know, talks about it even more. Uh, the, the idea that that places that have the name Fayette or, you know, Lafayette um, are places of occult significance. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't really realize until I looked at Coleman's stuff that that a lot of the that general Lafayette was being taken to different lodges and they were performing, you know, Masonic rituals mm-hmm. and, and that, and that's where some of this weirdness comes from. Right. That, that, that there's a, there's a correspondence between those things. But, um, 
but I, but I do think that that whole idea of the you know fat factor and mystical toponymy that that built into the name of the place and the location of the place, um, there are these sort of I don't, I, mean, I don't know these these connections across time. You know that somebody could uh, name a town out west and not know that a hundred years from then you know from that point something was going to happen there and that really is retroactively sort of is why the town is named that you know um and i think a lot of that is present here in somerset you know a lot of smaller places in you know omega there's a place in pulaski county called omega and there that's a site of a lot of violence they found a lot of dead bodies there and and so you know omega park um and there's just a whole list of places you know that that have these weird names and it's like because of those names the things connected to the the naming of it uh seem to make sense you know yeah that reminds me of some of the timothy renner stuff too like with pandemonium is is a place that oh yeah explorations of and yeah 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 i love all of his his crazy their site seven stuff you know uh but yeah the pandemonium thing is is very interesting reminds me a little bit about uh there's there is a lafayette or lafayette the natives say lafayette georgia uh close to there is where um the uh coursewood manor is and the kind of a weird area in that area but it's just a little closer to somerville but it's kind of in between the in between area between them i thought about that whenever you know you i listened i listened to that episode of the podcast last night so it's one of those things like certain numbers uh that like once you become more aware of it like you'll just and i mean it's obviously you know he's a big revolutionary war um ally and hero so a lot of shit was named after him but once you like turn that on you just like see it everywhere every time i travel i'm like oh lafayette 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 building lafayette street lafayette yeah yeah and then you know pulaski's like that too you know there are just a ton of places across america called pulaski now i don't know if strange things happen in all those places um but the casimir pulaski you know that that is this revolutionary war hero that came from i think poland um uh you know that's that's what we're named after but there was a controversy i think this was last year they dug up his body and it turned out that he was a transgender and was more female than male. And um, it was the Smithsonian that, that actually did the research. And he you mean he was a hermaphrodite? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, now I don't mean transgender. Yeah, hermaphrodite. Yeah. The, but, but that he was more female than mm-hmm. male, you know? And, uh, uh, but they, uh, people went crazy. They wouldn't accept it because he's such a, uh, in a lot of people's minds, a masculine war hero. And that just, I mean, people were threatening to sue the Smithsonian. They were trying to suppress the story. And I thought, this is crazy, man. You know I mean? Like, it's a fact. It's, this is reality, you know? And people were like, no way, no way. You, you can't, you can't say this. It's like, why, you know, why, why is that a, a problem? You know? Um, yeah. I just thought that was an interesting, you know, in, in just in terms of, I don't know, um, 
the the connection to Pulaski County and and everything. It just I don't know. It was a fascinating story though. You know, I also always make the connection uh, in New Orleans. A big hero is uh, Jean Lafitte, and right. I always think of Lafitte as basically a non-Americanized version of Lafayette. You know. Yeah, that's an interesting point. It's very similar phonetically in a way. Uh, yeah, I can definitely see someone at Ellis Island or something changing Lafayette yeah. Lafayette uh, to Lafitte to lafayette you know so season two is out uh what are you guys focusing on in season two and i guess this season is a little less focused on somerset than season one um you know the the motif that sort of um is, is the thread that every episode hugs um is this idea of the occult history or the secret history of the uh, U.S. transportation system, you know, and you know, and, and I mentioned it in the first episode, but um, Nick Nick uh, Pizzolatto that did uh, uh, True Detective in the second um, before he released the second season, a lot of people asked him, you know, what's it about, and he mentions that it's uh, about the occult history of the U.S. transportation system, and I thought, man, that's that's going to be awesome. And then when it came out, obviously it wasn't. <laughs> I mean, it, it had occult aspects of those roads out west, you know, in Southern California, where, wherever they were, but um, it really didn't give me enough information. And so when you start digging into to the the occult history of the U.S. transportation system, it's there's a lot of stuff, and and that's what I kind of imagined was that he probably has a very large file or a lot of files on his research for that subject, but it's so esoteric that probably the producers of the show were like, no way, man, you know, yeah. you know, you can't you can't go into this shit. So uh, so anyway, that kind of piqued my interest um, into researching that stuff, which is just fascinating. And, um, and so whenever I was, I was looking at all of the things that had sort of happened to us after we released uh, season one, you know, there was a, a lot of the story that we hadn't told yet. A lot of things that were happening still uh, and, and things that happened as a result of the re- release of the show. So um, I just thought it was a great, um, sort of motif and concept because of this weird, this weird feeling that we were on some path, you know, that's what people get, you know, people are always like, Oh, you guys are like on a path to something, you know, or something's unfolding or, you know, there's some type of a initiatory element to this. And so the idea of roads and paths and, and, and it just sort of naturally, you know, (laughs) sort of became this, this, this motif about, the occult history of the highway system, um, you know, it connects with uh, this story of Route 66 and I-66 um, that that ties Pulaski County uh, into that that story. And, and I think that's what all of the episodes, mm-hmm. they're not really focused so much on Pulaski County, but there's always, it's a, there's a starting point here, you know? Yeah. Um, and that takes the story wider, you know, and, and, and sort of looks at this, this, this bigger vision, these, these more far reaching connections, because I, you know, that's the thing that we found was that once the show is out, 
we were connecting with people from all over the country. You know, people were writing to us, you know, we were reaching out to people uh, doing research. And so um, the story just became a lot bigger and, and I wanted to capture that in the second season, you know, and, and I felt like roads and highways and paths were a great way to uh, a great metaphor, you know, yeah. to, to, to let us package a lot of these ideas. Yeah. I mean, think about whenever, whenever I do things, right. Whenever I was editing the show, right. Um, like the second episode, the, uh, the episode that you're in and, you know, it's exactly 93 minutes right now. Is anybody going to notice that, you know, and, and there are like other episodes that the amount of time of the episodes are what are, what are numbers that hold mystical significance for me. You know, because I think that they're auspicious or have some element of positive energy with those numbers. And so I've actually edited the show to encode those numbers. Now, that's just for me personally, you know, that I've done this. Right. But why? I mean, people that are naming roads, people that are doing these things and they're architects of this stuff, they're embedding their own personal gematrias and, you know, numerological, you know, significances into the things they're doing and they're working on, you know? So, I mean, I think mystical toponymy, mystical toponymy is absolutely a real thing. And, and, and it doesn't even have to be uh, cosmic or occulted, you know, like it's just in the way that human beings are human beings. We're naturally encoding ourselves in the things that we're working on, you know, and, and connections pop out. You know, it's just natural that you're going to find connections through the things you're doing with other people. And, and we just naturally encode ourselves into works and events and actions that we take and other people do. And when those things come together, it's a weird kind of magic, you know, and James Shelby Downer calls it, calls it mystical toponymy, you know, uh, call it, you know, whatever propinquity, you know, but, um, you know, it, it doesn't have to be some type of like weird otherworldly magic. I think it's just a sort of a, a, a facet, a feature of reality, you know, and just a, of living, you know, lives as human beings. And we're strange little creatures. Obviously, we have talked a lot, you know, off, you know, outside of the shows and stuff and have done a lot of research together on the downard stuff. Um, and, uh, and I meant to tell you this before we got on here too, but I, I don't think I've told you about the belligerent rabbit society letter that I got from a private collection at the, uh, at Eastern Michigan university. Did I tell you about this? You were, I think I was privy to a conversation you were having about it. I don't, I don't recall all the details. It was a little hazy. I got it though. I got it. They sent me the letter. I begged them and they were like super kind. And it's a letter from 1973, man. And it is from the belligerent rabbit society to this sociologist named uh, Marcello Truzzi, um, who studied the occult, who was a circus performer uh, uh, earlier in life. And so he was a contemporary of Geller, um, Gr uh, Grundella, the Green Witch of Detroit. He was like very connected to her. The collection has like all these letters and stuff, but they had one file in the collection that was called the Belligerent Rabbit Society. And so I reached out to him. I begged them, you know, I can't make it to you because of COVID. Could you please just pull this file out 
and copy it. And they did. It's a 10 page letter and it's from Downard. And he explains that he is the belligerent rabbit society. And it is, it's like the, so far of what, everything that we found, it is the earliest correspondence from Downard and it has all kinds of weird shit and new stuff in it. And he even mentions uh, the fucking um, uh, Sovereign Order of St. John, the SOSJ stuff that, you know, Stephen Snyder's always talking about. And it's weird, man. I mean, it had all kinds of stuff that I've never heard Downer talk about. Um, and anyway, I've got to send it to you. My, that's my Oh, please. This. Is, please is that, I, I haven't sent it to you. We haven't had time to talk about it. But, but obviously, you and I have talked a lot outside of all this stuff about the Downard, um, you know, mythos and all this research. But for people that have not listened to Penny Royal, those few people that are out there and then people that are maybe new to this show, because we haven't talked, we've talked about Jane Shelby Downard in the past, but it's been several episodes. Um, let's talk a little bit about who James Shelby Downard was and how you guys became interested in really exploring this. Well, he is partially a Kentucky boy. Well, so, you know, James Shelby Downard is the arch conspiracy theorist. Um, he's sort of the, the archetype, I think, of, of what a conspiracy theorist is in popular media. The weird thing about Downard is that there's this myth that he, well, maybe it's not a myth. I don't know. I mean, that's part of the mystery here is that he was this uh, sort of atomic cowboy um, occultist driving across the country, pulling a, a silver airstream with a 45 strapped to his hip in a suit. My retirement dream. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And, and you're hitting all of these like mystical sites across them. You're, you're speeding across the 33rd degree, uh, you know, of, of, of uh, parallel, oh, this latitude. No, no. Yeah, it's latitude. Yeah. Or latitude. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, uh, but he's, he's going from St. Pete all the way to uh, San Diego. And, you know, all, along the way, he goes through Dallas. He goes through all of, you know, Truth and Consequences, uh, New Mexico, uh, visits the Trinity site, all this crazy stuff. And, uh, and that's, that's where his mystical toponymy pops out. Uh, you know, the theory that all these names are connected to things. And then, Obviously, his most famous work, uh, purportedly his work, is called King Kill 33, which he co-authored with the controversial figure uh, Michael A. Hoffman II, um, published uh, for the first time uh, on Adam Parfrey's, or via Adam Parfrey's Feral House Publishing um, in, in uh, Parfrey's book, uh, Apocalypse Culture. And so that laid out this grand theory that JFK was um, murdered in a Masonic uh, killing of the King ritual uh, and all of this crazy symbolism that's connected to it. Now, you know, there, there's a, a question, you know, the, the reason that we're, that we are sort of tied into the downer thing is that, uh, you know, the first mention of Downard is in Cosmic Trigger, uh, Robert Anton Wilson's book, uh, Grimstead, uh, William Grimstead that we were just talking about uh, that, that wrote the uh, Fayette Factor stuff. He meets Downard in St. Petersburg and records um, a series of tapes called Serious Rising Tapes. 
And those are the, the recordings that are supposedly James Shelby Downard's voice. And he lays out a lot of the theories. A lot of the material doesn't really change from those original recordings. It's all sort of that same um, packaged material just retold over and over again. But there's a question as to whether or not that was actually Downard. There's a question of whether or not Downard wrote any of this stuff, that if it was that it was all Michael Hoffman, that it was all um, William Grimstead, and that they were using Downard. You know, this this is the argument that we make, um, that they were possibly using Downard um, as a vehicle of propaganda for um, right-wing esotericism um, in, a, in a weird way. Um, and so... Good way of you know, saying that, it, yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's right-wing esotericism. Um, and um, it turns out that he has all these connections to Kentucky. Uh, William Grimstead wrote The Rebirth of Pan under the pen name uh, Jim Brandon and obviously p- pops up in the Hellier uh, story because in the second season, uh, because they relied heavily on the rebirth of pan research. Um, and it was just odd to find these connections between the rebirth of pan, William Grimstead, the rebirth of pan and Dan Dutton. Um, there are a lot of weird things that we haven't talked about a whole lot publicly, but you know, <laughs> there's a strange, mi- I think we may have even talked about this on your show, but we don't talk about it in Penny Royal that in the carnivals of life and death, Jamie Shelby Downard's uh, purported autobiography that was uh, edited by Alina Freeland, um, another occult researcher and uh, Rosicrucian who was affiliated with Michael Hoffman early on. They later had a falling out, but um, in the carnivals of life and death, he even mentions Rookwood pottery in Cincinnati Right. And that his father, who was a Mason Downard's Downard senior, who actually was the uh, founder of the Lima, Ohio Philosophical Society. And he lectured on occult topics, you know, so and he was a Freemason and his father was a Freemason. So, you know, here's baby Downard with a father and a grandfather that are Masons that, you know, how involved were they? I don't know. But in the story, he's at Rookwood and they're making these funerary vases or vases for uh, rituals. And they talk about the artist in residence at Rookwood. And there's only ever been one artist in residence at Rookwood. And that was Dan Dutton. Right. And so, you know, I mean, it's a really strange thing because we know that carnivals of life and death were, wasn't actually written between, you know, about it's written about the period of 1913 to 1935, but he mixes in Brunel university from 1966. I think he makes reference to Elvis frequently. He says, Oh, my memory's kind of shot. I'm mixing in all these things together. So you're looking at a book that was written in, you know, carnivals was published in 2006, but um, was probably written, you know, in that prior period. So for, for a 10 year period, 15 year period from like 1985 to 2000, right. Dan was this, the only artist in resident. And um, I just, you know, a lot of the stuff that's in his autobiography is actually a contemporary writing, Mm-hmm. And so I just, I'm curious, you know, did they see Dan's work regarding the fawn? Did, you know, did Grimstead or Freeland, you know, when they were looking into 
Downard's connections to Cincinnati. They obviously looked at Rookwood. You know, they would have had to have researched a little bit of Rookwood. Um, and so they would have come across Dan's occult operas. And so is that reference in carnivals actually a direct reference to Dan Dutton? You know, it's one of those, those weird things. It's just strange. It's just another one of these fucking weird things where it's like, what's that? You know? And, and so all of the downer stuff has sort of unfolded that way. You know, he went to, to college 30 minutes North of Somerset. He attended college with a lot of the patriarchs of the town that, you know, when I first moved down here, everybody's telling me that there's a cult and all of these powerful people in, were involved in this cult. The people that they were talking about went to fucking college with Downard at center, you know? And so there's just all of these weird connections that, that add another layer to the narrative. And, and really do they mean anything? other than it's super strange, you know, it's just yeah. the context of it. That's what's so undeniable about it is, is the, um, you just, it's like, you can't escape it. You know, it just keeps, it keeps coming back. And, and that's, I think that's why so much of, I think the research we're doing and what we talk about a lot involves this idea of, of recurrences of, of feedback loops and, and things like that, you know, especially in terms of narratives, um, you know, so. I don't know. It's it's crazy. All this stuff's crazy. And in exploring this idea of an occult, secret occult history to the U.S. transportation system, it's worth noting that Downard's father was a very influential uh, asphalt man who paved much of the Midwest and came up with methods of asphalt creation that you know really helped facilitate the paving of i guess the rest of america and and building the roads and um in downard's narrative he is um downard himself is cast as a cowan which is like a rough mason and you can't think of really a more rough form of masonry than concrete and asphalt and yeah. that's undisputed historical figure like yeah. he absolutely existed and was in this situation where he was building the Rose of America. Whatever you say about James Shelby Downer Jr., like, there was the human being named that, and then there's this mystical character, but James Shelby Downer Sr. is like a documented living human being that made actual contributions that are, like, verifiable, mm -hmm. you know? It's just the, the asphalt connection to me is so poetic. You know what I mean? Like, like once, once I, it, it all just fell together, you know, when you think about that and later, uh, later episodes, you know, when we talk about roads into space, right. You know, highways into the sky, um, you know, J that Parsons, you know, Jack Parsons, in order for us to go to space, um, they had, they, they were not able to solve the liquid fuel problem. Right. And um, what's his name? The German scientist. Um, von Braun. Yeah. Werner Von Braun of the, the V2 rockets and all that shit. Um, you know, he was at Redstone Arsenal in, I think that's in Atlanta. Or it's in Georgia. And, yeah. and, and so Redstone Arsenal is where this, um, where they were trying to solve that problem. So Jack Parsons travels there and, he's the one that figures out that if they mix road asphalt 
into the liquid fuel mixture, it will allow them to get the thrust they need to actually break through the, the atmosphere and go into space. So it's like literally the road you know, roads and road asphalt helped us to build the roads into the, into space. Cosmic and, and alchemy. Cosmic alchemy. Well, and think about that too. Like asphalt itself is sort of when you create asphalt, there's a, a certain alchemy to it. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, like so much stuff, we, we had to cut, cut out so many things in order to keep these episodes from being, you know, four hours long. And so uh, one of the things that, that I had a huge section about um, John McAdams, who created the modern roads, you know, and I, and I touch upon it, but I had a huge section because it is really strange how we didn't have any roads from the Roman times. You know, once the Roman empire fell, people just like deconstructed the roads and built houses out of the, the stones and shit. They built fences and stuff. So it was like, there was no flow of no proper or efficient flow of information from the fall of the Roman empire until this fucking dude named John McAdams figured out how to make a road and they call it McAdamizing. And that guy, by doing that changed Western history. I mean, you know, we're sitting here talking on the fucking internet right now because McAdams figured out how to make roads work again and allowed information to to start to flow again and and he was a freemason and was a, a was very deep into freemasonry and so you know was there any magic involved i don't think so necessarily but again it's it's, it's just another one of those strange little reverberations of strange little things uh, uh that connects all of the, this stuff together but um i mean all that to me that's fascinating our editor boone was like you got to cut that out, man. <laughs> He's like, put, put it, put it, put it in a bonus episode or something or put it, you know, like extended audio. Cut out what? The whole thing about McAdams, you know, oh. I mentioned it. Well, he's like a, a, a version of, you know, Downard's father back then. Yeah. 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 So I don't know, man. It's just, it, it really is fascinating how, how all this stuff is connected to roads and asphalt and how, how, how intimate Downard is throughout the story. I mean, I, the episode that's going to come out, you know, we should talk about Downard throughout the whole thing. You know, there's a whole episode at Mount Palomar, you know, the, that we've talked about, you know, together, but um, it's just, it's just crazy how all of this is connected. And, and the fact that it became a part of the, the Penny Royal mystery also, you know? So let's talk a little bit about like what you guys think about uh, Downard that not being downered in the serious rising tapes. What are you guys thoughts on that? Do you like, do you think that this was something that was just, there was a real downer that got the information from, they got somebody else to act the part. I think down, I think Darian should talk about our research into uh, the, the cruise stuff because. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 you know, in the second episode, when that part was still in there, I was like, I was like, well, you know, I like now I, it's not that I think Harry Cruz was 
was James Shelby Downard. However, at the time that we were researching this, we had came across the Wikipedia edits and the history of those edits and, and who was editing those articles. And it did connect to Harry Cruz. I, I didn't know anything about Harry Cruz at the time. And so, um, you know, I looked him up and, and there's like some pictures of him in, in which he kind of looks a little bit like Downard, you know, uh, in, in, a, in a way. And then we found a video of him uh, doing a reading, I think, like he's reading from his work, and it sounds it, it sounds like Downer. It's like that same sort of cadence, that sort of weird, you know, Southern accent that's, you know, not not as common as it used to be. And it's like, could that be the guy from? The, and I'm I'm comparing the voice in this case to the to the voice on the series Rising tapes. Um, now there is no way that anyone who has ever heard the Serious Rising tapes and who has ever read King Kill Thirty Three that could think that that guy on those tapes wrote that same thing. That that's not true, right? Like it's it doesn't take you long to realize that that guy could not possibly have been the literary mind behind you know the works attributed to James Shelby Downer. Um, at the time, that seemed like a like more of a chasm, I think, like in the sense of this is de there is definitely someone else writing this stuff. And this guy on these tapes could possibly be, you know, someone impersonating, you know, someone or or whatever could, you know, like all of the different possibilities of who he was at the time and how this could have happened, you know. And so um, I think that 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 was what I was kind of wrestling with. Now, going back to the belligerent rabbit society letter, so much of the basis of King kill 33 is already present in this letter. Like so much of the sort of spine of the argument is, is present there, but in a much more incoherent and rambling way that you you're reading it and you think this guy is obviously you know, not mentally okay, right? It's just one the sort of disconnected paragraph after another, but they're all dealing with the same sort of things, you know? And so then now I think my current thinking is more that that he that the core of his ideas are being translated by people mm -hmm. who are more literary than him. And they're taking liberties with a lot of that material in a sense, you know. Um and you know, I, I I don't know. We're still it's 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 like I change my mind every day about the the downer thing because we find out some new piece of information. You know, just recently we've been on this rabbit hole of the news groups and Usenet data that kind of connects to a lot of the early conspiracy theories. Um, and a lot of that material is really interesting as it relates to Downard. You know, some of the people that definitely knew him personally are people that we can't really identify in the record you know um so uh, you know it's it's hard to say how somebody I, I think the biggest mystery for me is how someone who was supposedly writing these things and compelled to tell their ideas like this has so little historical footprint it's such a small historical footprint you know for someone who is writing and trying to persuade people about all of these sort of conspiracies and, and, you know, racial issues and all kinds of the weird things that he's talking about. Why is he not writing letters to the editor in newspapers all the time? You know, like even in the case of the belligerent rabbit society, um, 
the, the he's writing to this guy that's there is a real document you know that that he did write uh but he's referencing and he's referencing things that are happening in, in his local newspaper in florida at the time and it's like why it, surely he must have been you know had more of a of a historical footprint than he had that's kind of baffling to me mm-hmm. i mean the whole thing is baffling you know um the I think the biggest mystery of all that we came across in the whole thing is is his connection to the the woman that he was calling the great whore and that and who that woman ended up marrying in California. And that that to me is the, by far the most the biggest mystery of the whole thing. You know, it's like how in the world could this could he have divorced a woman who ended up marrying a guy who was so central to the JFK conspiracy itself you know it's it's amazing that that could have actually happened you know um and and, you know i think a lot of the a lot of that sort of hinges on constructing a timetable of what we know about who met him where they met him what he was saying at the time and then trying to reconcile that with you know the literary corpus that he left so i don't know it's fascinating it's a it's a really really interesting story yeah but what like led you to to some of that questioning about the the tapes and the similarities to Cruz's voice was the other parallels in Cruz's life and his pioneering of grit lit. And there's probably some kind of using Cruz's life and literature as some kind of part of the composite of Downard's biography. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of, you know, there, there's a lot of, interesting intersections between them right so uh cruz was in florida i think he was in gainesville uh at the time that a lot of the people around down were in st petersburg right and so uh i mean it's you know it's not that close but it's also not that far away you know and so um that that was one of the things we were looking at also cruz did a really sort of controversial article about David Duke for Playboy. And this was being written around the same time. And if you read the the sort of style of it, of a lot of these things that are attributed to Downard, it has this sort of quality of sort of like this dark, almost like gothic sort of yeah. quality to it. And, it. and it sort of fit with that, you know, if it fit with it. I'm not saying that Cruz was necessarily involved in the writing, but whoever was editing the Wikipedia articles around Cruz and the other articles that they were editing, the, this was just one small thing that they edited once about Cruz. And it's, it had to be someone that knew something about him enough to, to have made that edit, you know? And so I think that, that um, there's definitely some connection there, but I don't, I don't know what it is, you know? I mean, the the thing about that too is that it ties into the whole Kerouac uh, mystery of whether or not there there are actual recordings of Kerouac and um, and Downard, which is strange, right? Um, and you know, Adam Go rightly has mentioned the the fact that um, Visigoth that had a podcast, yeah. um, he interviewed this woman. And um, I can't think of her name right now, but um, she was a journalist in Seattle and she had done a lot of research on Kerouac and his connection to the um, extreme right 
which is a, a sort of a strange thing that the estate I think has gone out of the way to suppress, you know, because you really don't want, um, you know, the father of the beatnik generation to have turned out to be a, you know, you know, I'm not saying he was a Nazi, but you know, you don't want him <laughs> consorting with Nazi, you know, suddenly it goes mm-hmm. from the, the extreme left, you know, and, and the hippie movement. And then it's like, suddenly he's a, he's a Nazi, but, um, uh, but I, I, after I found out about this, I reached out and I found her and asked her about this and she absolutely denied everything I was saying and then basically told me to, you know, fuck off. And, uh, to, if I had any questions about Kerouac to direct that to the guys that run the Kerouac estate and, um, whatever his, there's, there's a guy in England and another guy in the U S and they do some type of like historical preservation of all of his works. It's not like a fan club, but it's like, these guys are the sort of the living curators of, of all officially of his stuff. And, um, she just absolutely denied everything, you know, but yet, Visigoth has this interview with her where she's talking about, you know, the, she acted like she didn't know who the hell Downard was. And, you know, he had recorded her talking about Downard and, uh, and Kerouac. So, you know, there was another author also that wrote a book called memory babe. And it's about the allegations against Kerouac and his sort of dark past um, with, with the extreme right. And, there were lawsuits involved in that, you know, because of those allegations. But I reached out to him too, because he was there at this time interviewing these people. And he also acted like he didn't know what the hell I was talking about. But if you have all these people, you know, it's like, what are these people hiding? You know, I mean, is it just simply that they don't, they don't want any direct connections between Kerouac and, and, and these, these groups, you know, in St. Pete um, in, in the mid 1970s. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Another thing that I think is really strange that came out of the Usenet stuff, right? Um, because, you know, I, I, I don't think Cruz is necessarily downered. The comparison of the two voices is is eerie especially if you think of it being sped up right um 
I was going to ask if you guys have done that. Why the comparison? Have you sped up the voice and seen what it does? I haven't done that. And Go Rightly was the, was the one that first said, you know, that he thought maybe it was sped up, you know. And I was like, oh, you know, I don't, uh, maybe, you know. We haven't done that yet. As as Southerners, I mean, where would you guys put that accent? It sounds Kentucky. D- definitely the Appalachian region, you know. That's what I. But you know, uh, Cruz is from Alabama, you know. So and from a very like, uh, you know poor area of alabama very rural area um it's just it's weird it's weird that he was so obsessed with kerouac and was in saint pete at various times looking for kerouac to run into him at Halsom's bookstore and you know now it's closed but that that was a weird connection and uh and all the stuff with david duke and grimstead would have been working with david duke at the time that he was on the campaign trail with him um or you know following him around for the 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 playboy article but um here's something that i think is is really weird that darian found in the usenet groups is a conversation between lauren coleman and another guy and it's lauren coleman as, as himself right and he says to this guy in a conversation that it's funny that all of pe- these people who have received letters from Downard think they're actually from Downard because they were all written by Hoffman and Grimstead. And he literally says those words. So then it's like the belligerent rabbit society letter, you know, the, these, some of these letters that's, that, that are going out to people. What if it really was Hoffman and Grimstead and it and it's it's like the Discordian shit, right? Yeah. You know, it's it's you know, it's been done before. It's not fucking original. And maybe they came up with this literary ver I mean, Downer definitely existed, right? But did they use that crazy guy that they met as this this uh literary figure to to write letters, to mess with people, to put their theories out there? Because, you know. You've got Grimstead writing anti-Zion. You've got Hoffman. You know, these guys are connected to some very controversial stuff. And because of that, you know, they can't really put, they can't put out their fun Fordian research necessarily, you know, because everybody's going to be like, well, I don't want to listen to you. You're, you know, you wrote this other crazy stuff. Well, you know, I've, I've also, also wondered about one other thing. One other possibility is that that for some reason, this guy who is you know viewing the world sort of schizophrenically, let's use the term broadly, um, is is saying things that are so outside the box or so insightful, possibly that they're picked up on by these guys with you know more literary minds, and they're then they're trying to will weld his ideas into their framework you know and is it possible that 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 he was just so unusual in in connecting things that just didn't seem easy to connect or that he's saying these it's a little bit like the lincoln and um the lincoln and jfk thing you know like how many similarities there were between these these presidents and it's like you know he's saying a lot of things that are you know interesting and in, you know in the places the names of places like truth and consequences or the trinity side and all of these things that are con- he's connected in this really weird way but we're talking about you know the geography of texas in the west it's huge spaces of you know littered with towns with weird names you know and so um so it's like 
I, I wonder sometimes if he was just in the right place at the right time and had the right ear that that these ideas seem like, oh, man, you know, I've never thought about that that way. I've never really, you know. And so then it becomes it's a theory almost by symbiosis, you know, like through the sort of um, refinement of the ideas of someone who's really just viewing the world in a much different way. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I think that um, there's a lot of utility to creating this folk hero of Downard and there's a lot of people who want to separate the Fortiana of Hoffman and Grimstead from the political program, but I think it's all it's all integrated in that. And you know, a lot of people don't really understand the you know what you called right wing esotericism of these people that it's not just um, some kind of materialist racist thing. It's a lot deeper than that, and I think they see Fortiana itself as having utility in showing the the cracks in the materialist paradigm, and that Downard is revealing that the uh, establishment, aka usually the Jews, of course, uh, run the world through this, you know, secret magical system that they've been using with the Freemasons, and that's how they control the world, and that Downard is is helping to reveal that you know like it's all this integrated thing and um but they're not saying that they're right it's it's all subtext yeah and creating downard as this folk hero that can lead people down these rabbit holes that eventually you know they end up in this right-wing esotericism um you know he's a good uh folk hero a good introduction to to wind people down into that way of thinking eventually so he has a lot of there'd be a lot of utility in someone like downard and it's kind of and it's got uh appeal to countercultural types just like fortiana does and we know these a lot of these long-term programs of the extreme right were to to co-opt a lot of left-wing anti-establishment subcultural things into their general program which i think has largely been successful I mean, you know, Downard's really sexy. You know what I'm saying? Like in a weird way, it's like yeah. it's it's a, a very romanticized idea, um, and it's a good sell. It sold, you know, sold me. You know what I mean? And just in terms of like, oh wow! Before I even question it, it's like if this guy existed, wow, wow, man! You know, like this is fascinating. You know, and and I'm ready to hop in the the airstream trailer, man, and fucking take me down the highway with you. You know, like let's see what adventures we get into. You know what I'm saying? Like that. I think that was the that's what made it so appealing. Whereas just you know the based on the the limited things we know about the personalities of of Grimstead and Hoffman, they're not exactly these like warm folksy types yeah, yeah. And that's what you need yeah yeah my own um thoughts obviously i'm not an expert on this but my own you know i, I read carnival of life and death which is hours i will never get back from did you my throw life. it at the wall but uh no i just kind of just gave up on it uh but my my impression of Downard was I felt like that was something that he had written because it was just so outlandishly insane and so disjointed. Like Nathan said, he's, 
I didn't even think about what you know that he could be bringing things in from the present and in for his present into the past and these type of things and it really reminded me of literature that you would read from someone that you know is experiencing some weird demonic hauntings or some kind of alien abduction type of thing or something like that and that disjointedness of it really keyed me into the fact that like there was some abuse that went on when he was when he was a child and these type of things and i think that that eccentricity really shows through especially in that book and i think that they probably did find that that old some old man that you know was saying all these kind of crazy things and they they found a coherent narrative from his ramblings there's probably a lot more to those tapes obviously i'm seeing nathan smile so i'm seeing nathan smile so yeah yeah well so so i think man when you listen to those tapes it's obvious that they're cutting out sections of the tape, right? Yeah, it's edited. And, and, and like heavily edited, you know, because <laughs> they like cut him off occasionally. Um, when you when you read the first mention of the Serious Rising tapes in Robert Anton Wilson's Cosmic Trigger, he describes the tapes that he was sent as outlining how the um, there was this conspiracy to prepare to use the occult to prepare humanity for an alien invasion okay that is not present in the serious rising tapes that i've listened to right and right i mean do you do you agree Sergio? uh that, that, i mean there's there's just no mention of that and then um you know it's called serious rising and you know robert anton wilson's um illuminatus illuminatus trilogy um obviously mentions sirius the star sirius and uh the number 23 and all that stuff so you know was grimstead referencing you know in cosmic trigger you know (laughs) all these guys are talking about receiving transmissions you know they're channeling transmissions from uh sirius and so was downard channeling some of this stuff you know there's been the suggestion that there were nine tapes not just one tape and that that some of these tapes were recordings possibly of downard or of other people that were channeling entities but the fact that they've that uh robert anton wilson mentions this alien invasion that's not on the tapes that that were released makes me think that that there is a reference to that and and in and the rebirth of pan it opens the introduction to the rebirth of pan talks about a war between two alien races. And in a, you know, we had the chance to ask Grimstead a question uh, through some, some people that were interviewing him and they let me give them that question to, to ask him. And he acted like the suggestion that Downard ever said anything connected to aliens was preposterous and also that he has never said anything you know or published anything related to aliens and it's like dude you the introduction to the rebirth of pan mentions an alien war you know but he acted like that was the most insane thing ever um and he would have none of it free masonic witchcraft rituals and that's totally okay but space aliens no that's just crazy it's crazy, man. 
<laughs> right. So I, I think there's more to the serious rising tapes. There has to be, you know? Yeah. It's probably way more disjointed than, you know, they, they obviously, I mean, you know, they, they, they took what they wanted from this crazy old man and they flew with it, you know, but I really think that that carnivals of life and death, I think that that was written by him, according to other people to say that like Hoffman and that like they're, they're, they write well and to try to like bring yourself down to the level of this, that kind of just incoherency and insanity. It was heavily edited. It's just, but he, you know, but my understanding from everything is that it, most of that was him, but heavily edited, but yeah. not like fully reconstructed. Like the other essays. Parfrey definitely kept all the craziness, you know, the, all the, Defeating a bunch of Klansmen with a with a with a pop gun and all all that all that great stuff. Before we move on from Downard, um, I do want to kind of just say that one of the reasons why we're we're so obsessed with this is because his ideas and form of synchromysticism is really influential, and you see it everywhere today um, in this kind of pop culture conspiracy theory about dissecting movies and and popular culture because that's what the elites use to control us and revelation of the method through those things um it's really hard to uh not overemphasize the the importance of this kind of conspiracy theory it's not about some like thing that you can you know figure out some conspiracy that actually happened with responsible people who can be held accountable it is this uh really weird non-linear kind of divination system that i don't think a lot of people understand that are engaging with it don't understand what's going on a lot of outsiders just think it's crazy and don't know that it's, it's really this kind of engineered thing that has an ideological basis it's not just you know you figuring things out and especially with the the entertainment stuff you know it's really about the evil jews who control hollywood and the music industry are programming us with this content blah 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 it really does have these ideological basis to it yeah i mean i think it's it's very important for um yeah like you like you said man i mean that's that's exactly spot on what i believe that people need to understand what that there is an ideological basis to this yeah that it's not just you know some fun some fun occult stuff to get into and to check out you know yeah not to say that like the synchro mystic method can't yield results um you know because it it absolutely can but certain just just certain aspects of it you know are tied to those ideological underpinnings and um it's just important for people to know that if they're going to engage in this kind of thinking, you know, to not like fall into these traps that have been laid on purpose to, uh, to make converts pretty much. Yeah, man. I mean, that's, that's the thing. It's ideological traps. That's, that's really what it is. Um, yeah. It's just like showing people, Hey, don't fall in that hole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, know? Uh, you know, you can, you can look at it. <laughs> don't fall into it you know but you know i think that like this is something that comes up a lot with any of the stories that that are sort of fuzzy like uh penny royal or hellier or or the downer stuff i think that 
in a lot of ways, whatever he's picking up on as crazy as it sounds, there is some sort of logic to the, I'm not saying there's a logic to it, but there's something there that he's grasping toward. Right. And through, and, and the only way to construct it, you know, to, to sort of back propagate that is to generate a theory of people that would explain it. It's the new world order. And, you know, and that's, that's what's happening or whatever, you know? And so like the, the idea that, that the, the fact that there's something there, I think is true. Right. But I don't think that necessitates a plot necessarily. Right. right? There's could be other ways that reality is functioning to generate these sort of strange synchronicities of names and places. Yeah, exactly. All of the crazy stuff surrounding the JFK conspiracy. It's just there are so many weird things about that, that it's almost impossible to believe that all of those things happen, you know? And so it's like there we're there there is a mystery but the explanation is too prosaic and too human you know and it necessitates a plot that is too complex to even be possible in in reality you know and so i think that like i I think that that's where it was interesting to me is that someone's picking up on a lot of these same things that we're seeing you know or, or that happen but um, I think where it really deviates is from that is the sort of QAnon or, or pizza yeah. stuff, you know, it's like, somebody's got to be raping kids for all this shit to be happening and let's go kill them. You know, it's, it's more, it's weirder than that. I think yeah. whatever is happening is weirder than that. Well, and Grimstead or Brandon, you know, he, he talks about that stuff in rebirth of pan. He really does explore this like synchromistic mechanism. I think they're, big idea is that the masonic sorcerers take advantage and use the synchromystic mechanism because they understand it like there is this web of connections and synchronicities and things like that over reality but they know how to manipulate it yeah yeah i i, I yeah i've gone back and forth on like the different models of of explanations that there could be i did a lot of reading of uh stan groff i don't know if you ever heard of stan groff he was one of the he founded uh integral psychology at harvard and he was uh partners with uh, timothy leary and uh ron doss in the original sort of psychedelic studies he also guided more more lsd sessions than anybody alive i think it's like 2700 or something he was uh sort of responsible for a lot of the construction of esalen institute Mm -hmm. in california and um and sort of he he has a he put a book out that describes his sort of perspective on what this mystery could be and he goes back to uh, an art idea that's sort of heavy, heavy in the occult world is that there's sort of a kaleidoscopic thing that is like moving an astrological time and is projecting this sort of uh, battle or this battle of archetypes, this interplay of archetypes that is fixed. And it's sort of being manifested imperfectly by human beings that are more or less in tune with it. And that that, that interplay is real. That is a real interplay of these archetypes in, in sort of um, astrological time. The but eternal pagan psychodrama. Right. Yeah. But it's not, it's, it's sort of like um, 
you know, twin peaksy in the sense that it's the, the guy that owns the sawmill is just the guy that owns the sawmill. He's not part of like an overall conspiracy. The murder just is, is more or less perfect or imperfect based on the conditions of his rage and, and all of the sort of things that are, you know, percolating through to make things happen. Yeah. And so I think that that model is better in the sense that it's not being hijacked or anything. It's just it's sort of an inexorable movement of archetypal interplay that we're all subject to, to at some level, you know, I don't, I'm not saying we're, you know, at the whim of it, but the idea that people are like, you know, conspiring to, to sort of majorly shift the collective unconscious. I don't think that's happening. You know, I, I have a, I have a question about <laughs> for you, Sergio, um, that I came across. Um, it is. So there are various versions of, um, of King kill 33, right? Like published at various times. And some of them are more complete than other ones. Um, but I found a version that I'd never come across that's published by Michael Hoffman in Paranoia Magazine in 2000, right? So so there's the mm. one that he published in 1998, right? There's the one in 88, which was in Apocalypse Culture, right? And it's a, a smaller one. But then in 98, he supposedly published the complete version. But then I didn't know that Paranoia Magazine had published this also a, a King Kill 33 with his name and downed on it in 2000. And um, it was strange too. I found it because I was researching the psychedelic right and trying to find uh, evidence of, of, of a psychedelic right. And, and then this, uh, you know, I own all of the paranoia magazines. And so I, I was searching them digitally and then this edition popped up and it just so happened to have King Kill 33 in the, in the King Kill 33 in apocalypse culture. And the one that was published by Hoffman in 1998, I haven't had time to look since we've been working on getting the show out, but I just came across it. And I thought, man, I got to go back and, and check this. Does he mention, I know he mentions fairy, right? David fairy, because he talks about fairies mm -hmm. and how David fairies connected to that. Does he talk about, uh, Clay Shaw and Jim Garrison in in that version of King Kill Thirty Three. I don't know, but they um, I've encountered Hoffman mentioning Garrison a few times. So I mean, but anyone who's into the conspiracy theory is going to be mentioning him. So I don't know. Well, so this was this is it looks like an official King Kill Thirty Three written by Downard, and it has a whole section on how Jim uh how Jim Garrison was mystically putting this stuff together, which made me think about the propinquity thing. Send that to me. I don't know if I have uh, that. see yeah. that, that and that's where I was like, we were talking about that. You know, what connections yeah. are there between Downard and this whole yeah. Garrison thing in New Orleans, right? And so it literally is the end of King Kill 33 and they're talking about Garrison Shaw and Ferry and this whole like my mystical thing. So, so, but he doesn't say propinquity, but then I'm thinking, you know, is this Hoffman? Is this Downard? Did they know about this back in the seventies? You know, is this sort of an admission 
Is that where the that came from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. like you've suggested. Before. I don't. Yeah, yeah I, don't I don't know. know. And I, I, uh, yeah, I mean, when I read it, I was like, I don't remember reading this in the other version. And mm-hmm. but then since we were going to talk tonight, I was like, I've got to ask him and see if he remember because I thought maybe I'm just misremembering. You know, let's no, let's guess. talk about this propinquity thing. We've we've discussed this some. I think we did it on our on a Patreon episode at one point, but. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about that. Just like, you know, that there's some, at least in, in the realm of ideas, there's a connection between something that Jim Garrison came up with and this whole synchromystical Danerity and stuff. Yeah. Um, so he has these, a couple of these memos, time and propinquity, in which Garrison was using just like maps and names and basically divining correlations and starting with those and then like working his way backwards to find connections and yeah i think it did bear some fruit for him but everyone thought he was fucking crazy it does look like a a prototype of of synchromysticism and especially and of mystical toponymy because he was really known to use maps and he said you know give me a map and i can solve any mystery so that it, it really sounds like the kind of downerdian method or at least some of it yeah drawing lines on a map yeah, yeah. I'm, i mean I, th- I think you're totally like i think th- I think you're right. I'd never heard of that before until you mentioned it to me um, and then dug into a little bit. And I was like, oh, man, you know, like this, this has to be connected somehow to this. But maybe he's just crazy in the same way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's totally. Yeah, totally. It's so fascinating. I mean, the whole downer thing is just, it, it, you know, synchromysticism. You know, I mean, I, I, I love synchromysticism, you know, I, I really do, you know, in terms of. 40 in research, you know, that's my jam. Uh, (laughs) I really, really dig it. You know, it's just, it sucks that there's this ideological basis behind it, you know, but, uh, but that doesn't change. Like you said earlier, you know, it doesn't change the, the fact that it is a, a solid methodology for investigating some of this stuff. Yeah. And I really like how you, you relate it to uh, psychic questing in the latest episode. I, man, I really do think that, again, you know, a, a lot of this for me is learning stuff. I hadn't really talked to, you know, I knew about the green stone uh, and the seven swords, right? I love those stories, but I hadn't really thought about psychic questing or talked to anyone who had done any type of psychic questing. Um, and, you know, Charles Topham, uh, you know, who's the the final guest on on the third episode, you know, he had two of the, the Miania swords, uh, from the for a while and then he sold them um god man that was like a five-hour interview like we talked yeah what what are what are these swords what are these so andrew collins and um i forget the other guy's name off the top of my head but andrew collins um, um and some other guys in the mid-1970s and the 80s uh they really did find they were you know they were doing this psychic questing stuff where it was like all right, it's everybody sit in a circle, and they were they were using Ouija boards. A lot of the what I would term spiritualism practices, right? Um, and they were trying to connect with the spirit of place. You know, they would go to a place in England with a you know storied past, and then try to receive psychic impressions, and then follow those psychic impressions um, that would lead them on this adventure. And so they did this, and actually did find a sword 
in an like a 800 year old bridge and it made like the newspapers in England were a buzz with this and uh, they, they became kind of minor celebrities and then um, continued to, to psychic quest and found six more swords. So there were like seven swords. Um, there was some evil being they were fine. It's just, there was, it's a crazy story, you know, and a lot of it only exists because of the interaction between these people and the story. You know, that's my opinion of it. I think they probably believe they really were fighting some ancient demon, you know, from Egypt that that some mystical order had used this Meania sword to stop from destroying humanity, right? They probably believe that. But I think that these people through their own, uh, they were, you know, they were, <laughs> it's like, Make believe, you know what I'm saying? Like, like a, a form of make believe where the story you're telling, uh, you know, your interaction with these things is changing the story. You know, I mean, some of it was, I'm not saying it did. I mean, it definitely happened. All kinds of people started psychic questing and started trying to receive messages and trying to go on all these adventures. And they did. And they found things. It's kind of like Randonautica. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, whenever these people are like, I went to this place and I found this thing. And like for them, they're drawing a personal connection to that place through something that they think is symbolic there. Right. Yeah, something, and, and, something that's meaningful to them. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, and then that creates this meaningful coincidence. Um, and so, you know, psychic questing was like an early form of randonautica it really was and and it used this sort of randomness you know to to div divine the next step in the mystery and when you look at that and look at how things have unfolded for us i you know i'm not saying we're psychic questing but <clears throat> there's a there's a heavy element of of us in the story right that it would have only unfolded the way that it has because of our interaction with it Right. Um, you know, even the stuff with Guterma, you know, and finding Spiro Agnew, you know, all of those things, um, you know, talking to Pamela and she was the one that mentioned the mind and then the mind led the, to Guterma. The, watching that play out, um, it couldn't have played out that way except through us, you know, mm -hmm. specifically us and specifically the things that we were bringing to the table and, and the narrative elements that were mixed together through us um, that brought us to this moment, you know? Um, and, and so in that way, I, I do think there's a, but there's an element of psychic questing. I think for us in this sort of, you know, I think of that as analog and a lot of what's happening with us involves a digital element. You know, it really does because of, the way we perform our research, you know, because of the data mining, because of, of just all of this, you know, and um, it involves technology, you know, and it, and it can't exist and can't be told without technology, you know. I'm curious to get Kyle's and Darian's kind of thoughts on some of the things that you guys have been talking about and uh, what you guys um, have experienced and making the second season. And I think because we're only, I think at the moment, three episodes in, we probably need to do another episode. How many episodes are there going to be, Nathan? Eleven? Eleven. 
Yeah, okay. eleven episodes. Yeah. Yep. Is there so some significance to, to that? About when in in a two months. But what's some of you guys' thoughts about working on this project? And well, <clears throat> for me personally, like the investigation at Penny Royal is different than anything I've ever done in the paranormal world. You know, I originally started in like 2004 uh, ghost hunting. And like, I had a lot of preconceptions at that point that like a ghost is the only thing I'm looking for. And it's the spirit of someone that was alive and isn't anymore. And all these kind of things that like, I just took for granted were the truth or whatever. And, you know, years like I've been doing this, that was like 2004. So I've been doing this for 18 ish years. And like, I'm not at all in that same place at all. Like five or six years ago, I stopped being in, into that idea of like, I, I always wanted to meld ideas, but it really wasn't even till hellier till I, gave myself like the latitude to be able to accept that things were all interconnected and like, you know, just because you're looking for a doesn't mean that when B shows up, it doesn't, it's not the same thing, you know? And so I had just been getting around to these like more universal reality ideas when we started Penny Royal and Penny Royal is different than anything we've ever done because like it, absolutely has all these concrete like signposts for what we're looking for and as we've talked about like we think we don't have like this grand idea of what the end puzzle is going to be but we're just picking it up piece by piece you know and so it's interesting to have all these real world like ties to what we're finding in like uh, you know compare that to ghost hunting where the ghosts or the stories are like oh i saw this thing here and that might line up with some historical fact it's like okay that's great but like what we're finding here is like a healthy dose of the personal experiences where there are these like signposts to darren and nathan and i uh of which way kind of to go but then it leads us to these absolute concrete evidence things like uh such as charles hayes who's going to be one of the main guys of the next episode and it's just these crazy interconnection things that like like i said personally i've never been used to with how i've investigated before um but it just absolutely brings these things up to the forefront that like are absolutely the truth, you know, in even a subjective way, you can realize these things as universal, you know, and it's just kind of amazing to be able to experience that, especially with Darren and Nathan, like uh, their data mining side and experience, like really opens me up to just a whole new way of being able to experience these like data collections, you know, these things that are absolutely vital to the bigger picture that we're finding you know during some of your thoughts yeah um i think that that uh, with season two a lot of season two is is concerning events that happened right before the release of season one and so i think a lot of that 
is interesting because I know what we knew at that time, like who we had talked to, what we had talked about, you know, and so some of the craziest things that happened, like the the stuff with the documents that we we talked about a little bit in this season, and the the signs that were that were being put around town, all of those things were so just otherworldly strange that you know they happened because you lived through them. Uh, and then, you know, trying to reconcile that with sort of the theory and the archaeology of how these ideas came to be. I think that's that's what's really, really interesting um, and how it connects personally in, in so many ways that don't ever make it into an episode. You know, it's like I think that that's that's something that can, you know, a lot of people might sort of overlook is how real the mystery of some of this stuff is and the sort of spooky things that happen every day around strange coincidences, you know, um, I think that's kind of the, the part that keeps us going, you know, the part that, uh, you know, when we think we haven't, when we think we don't have any real research left to find, we'll find something just other, you know, otherworldly in a sense, it's in a total new direction that we didn't, think we would ever go in you know um even even in things that we've looked at in every way that i think we could have looked at them you know uh someone will come up to us with some new piece of information that really changes the whole story around you know so uh, i think a lot of it um for me has been has been that personal connection to it and what that must say about the world that we live in you know and what it must say about what we're assuming is true and what we're assuming you know, uh, can't be possible, you know, it's all kind of, uh, thrown in the air, you know, you, I, I don't know, for me, it's, it's, it's been a process of increasing agnosticism, I think. And, uh, I think that's kind of interesting in the way that some of these sort of initiatory things work, you know, Kyle, I like what you said about the, the ghost hunting stuff, because I definitely went down my own path with that too. And, it's like that was like the that was like the gateway drug to the rest of all this madness. Yeah. Yeah. And you <laughs> think of it in this like almost straight laced way. And then something eventually kicks where you're like, oh, shit, I was like investigating a corner of a room that is the paranormal like realm, you know? Right. Right. Nathan, what do we uh, what do we have to expect for um episodes four through 11 you know this next episode that's going to drop for our patreons obviously this will air afterwards but it's coming out tomorrow um and then uh friday uh there's the fourth episode we really dig into the the chuck hayes mystery you know another another mr x that appears here in pulaski county and just like darian said where where we're like ah, that's it there's nobody else weird here that we could possibly find and then somebody is like hey dude have you looked at this guy someone that's not from pulaski county contacts us and tells us hey look at this guy and then it's like it just explodes into something even weirder um you know and with each one of these episodes it's laying the groundwork for what's coming next you know and you need to understand these things that we were experiencing and and that's the way we've tried to tell the story this season you know a lot of it seems to to involve things that are outside of Pulaski County because it does I mean it really does and and those concepts you know tulpas egregores you know the psychic questing stuff 
you know, all of those things I think help lay the the groundwork to um, to to understanding this. But you know, we, we're going to get into there's a lot more involving Willis Carto and right wing esotericism. You know, later um, you know toward the end of it. But um, you know, we're going to talk about there's an episode about roads into space. There's an episode about roads beneath America. You know, with the underground. Um, and in a, in a big theme of this season and the first season too, but but definitely in this season is what enchantment is to people, what reenchantment is, and some of these ideas that have been put forth by uh, David Southwell in his Hookland uh, series. This idea that um, you know enchantment is resistance. You know that, that re, you know that 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 uh, he he is fighting right-wing esotericism and fascism in England in his local community because fascists are attempting to steal the local folklore and convince people that they have a shared folklore, but they're manipulating the folklore, you know? And, sounds, and tr- sounds familiar. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I really, for me, there's a heavy element of that to this story. Um, and, and so I, I hope, you know, that with the first season, we tried to leave people with sort of a uh, inspiring message necessarily, but just a, Hey man, you know, like it's okay to believe in magic, you know, like the world is a strange, like these things we're telling you are evidence that the world you live in is a very magical place which means you can control your own narrative. And this second season is really trying to, to hit that idea home, you know, even more strongly that, you know, you can tap into this magic that exists where you are. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to be a magician. You know, you can be you and you can control your narrative and, and use magic in your narrative and combat this fucking weird encroachment of fascism and fascist ideology that seems to be infecting every society right now. Um, especially this one, you know, so it's very well, it's very well put Nathan. Thank you. Where can people find uh penny Royal seasons one and two? Uh, you could go to um, go to our website, uh, pennyrollpodcast dot com, uh, but we're on uh, you know all the major platforms: Apple, Spotify, at least for now. <laughs> but you know, like uh, yeah, anywhere any, anyone wants to listen, um, you'll, you'll find us. Um, and uh, you know, we've got a Patreon, the Liminal Lodge. Uh, if anybody wants to, you know, it's where we talk about all of our research. The people that belong to the Patreon to the Lodge a lot of the stuff in the second season they've been they've heard it all from for the last 12 months you know as we found this research as it came out uh they were right there with us um now it wasn't put together in the way that it is right now to create this narrative but uh but if anybody's interested in you know kind of joining joining us in in trying to solve some of this stuff um definitely you know you can join the liminal lodge and get the episodes early and and get some Research. I'm going to share that that uh, belligerent rabbit society letter with you, but also you know with the lodge members, you know, are you know get to see this stuff. So, um, yeah, um, and uh, yeah, you can find us anywhere. So, 
Very cool. And uh, Kyle and Darian, where can people find you? Kyle, uh, absolutely, please plug the museum. Yeah, you can always find me or my employee at the museum, uh, the International Paranormal Museum. We have a website. I think it's internationalparanormalmuseum.com. You can buy some goodies off that. Or just come see us in person. We're open Tuesdays through Saturdays here in downtown Somerset. So definitely check that out. Or uh, you can find us on uh, Facebook and all the social medias and everything. All right. And Darian? Yeah, I, I don't really do a lot of uh, stuff like that. Um, most of my work is in programming, so uh, I don't really uh, need clients necessarily right now or anything. So, you know, um, you can look me up. I do write some stuff on Medium, uh, so you can find some articles that I've written on Medium. Uh, I dug uh, quite a bit into some of the tangential stories around some of this stuff. Um one of them I wrote recently about uh, Christian Priber, which has a kind of an interesting history in Tennessee. It, I think it's uh, kind of interesting. So that's, you can find me on there under Darian West. Um, other than that, download Penny Royal and listen to it and visit the museum. And also to plug Darren, we're working on this uh, kind of revolutionary, like, <laughs> paranormal investigation device that we've been talking about for about a year and he's the main source or main driving force behind it so hopefully this year we'll have like a working prototype that people can try out and stuff but it's going to be an awesome thing that darren spirit yeah i'm supposed to have uh, some demo of it by the end of this month so for for fourth we got it <laughs> yeah so yeah uh, a lot of the work that we did on penny royal in terms of channeling and, and and thinking through that and some just some other stuff that that we've worked on has sort of percolated into this device and i i do hope that um if if we can pull off everything that we're hoping to do it would definitely be a big shift in how we think of uh paranormal equipment and 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 things like that. And I'm not, I'm, I don't come from that like angle of things at all, but uh, very little is done on the software side and in the paranormal space. So this will be interesting to approach it from sort of a, a data sense, you know? Um, so yeah, look out for that when it happens. All right. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. This has been very great. Um, we, uh, of course, you guys, you can find us, conspiranormal.com. Um, and we've got a few things going on ourselves. We've got the first uh, Strange Realities Presents uh, Extra Extended Hangout coming up with uh, Kiki Dombrowski on February 25th. So you guys uh, check that out. You can uh, go and become a patron for $10 and get in uh, to see that are, which is going to be more extended uh, kind of introduction to tarot. And then she's going to dig a little deeper into a lot of things. And Kiki is also featured in Penny Royal season two. So um, you can check her out there as well, but uh, she's going to be doing some like a little workshop as well with, with us too. And that's going to be an interesting night. So that's going to be February 25th. And uh, we'll have more details as, as we get, a little closer um, but our patreon is also available so if y'all can tell you where to find that you can find that at patreon.com slash conspiranormal 
Also, I hope you guys enjoyed our Paranoid Styles premiere episode, which would have been last week, I think. Um, And we're going to be doing that every month as well. Um, And we might tie in some Patreon content to that. So stay tuned and check us out at patreon.com slash conspiranormal. All right, guys. Thank you so much. And we will be back next week on Conspiranormal. just the sound of that first sip of morning joe it's the sound of someone shopping for a car on carvana from the comfort of home that's a good blend it's time to take it easy like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes talk about starting the morning right just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget Mm -mm -mm. visit carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be convenient comfortable ah When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.